Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of the Yamna Bat Rachel, Alea Shalom, sponsored by Yossi Levi. As well, sponsored by Edward Sofer, dedicated in loving memory of his parents, Ray and David Sofer, Alehem HaShalom, Lunashmatem, David Ben Naima, Alehem HaShalom, and Simcha Barchana, Alehem HaShalom. As well, the breakfast in the class is dedicated in loving memory of Lunashmat David Ben Naima, sponsored by the Aaron family, Tenishmatot Rabbit Sror Achaim. As well, the uh, uh, breakfast in the class is dedicated in memory of Lu Jerome, Alehem HaShalom, from Luz, Lunashmat, Eliyahu Ben Esther, Alehem HaShalom, sponsored by his son, Joey Jerome. Breakfast in the class is dedicated, thanking Rabbi Shlomo Fari and Rabbi Ariel Mizrahi for your beautiful Torah classes and inspiration to grow, sponsored by Anna Zayinchik. Thank you so much. Breakfast in the class is sponsored by Sunny Dua in honor of the Kahal and for the Rifuash of all those that need a Rifuash And finally, last but not least, the week of cold brew is dedicated in honor of Rochelle Syed, sponsored by her sons, Hazakubaruch. Okay, I'm getting good at reading those fast, I think. Okay, let's get rocking. The, the, uh, the parasha that we are in deals exclusively with the building of the Mishkan and there are many beautiful attendant lessons that one can learn from that concept. In fact, uh, if you're able to on Shabbat afternoon, I would encourage you to uh, come to the Shabbat afternoon class this week. We're going to be doing a special one called uh, Laying or the Foundation of the Jewish Home. The messages that we learn um, from the Mishkan as to how to build the most beautiful place in the world, which is a Jewish, a Jewish home. So there's many great lessons here for how one builds a, a house, how one grows in spirituality, how you develop yourself into a sanctuary for God, etc., etc. I'd like to focus today on a lesson that we learned from the end of the parasha. The pasuk tells us, Ve'asita et akirashim, and you will make the, uh, the walls, the panels, lim mishkan, for the mishkan, atze shitim omdim, cedar wood standing. Asks the Midrash a question. If you are telling me that you made the aron for the mishkan, you made the ark for the mishkan, that makes sense. If you tell me that you made the minorah for the mishkan, that makes sense. But ask the Midrash, how could you say that you made the Kirashim Lim Mishkan for the Mishkan? That is the Mishkan. The walls of the Mishkan are the Mishkan. You don't make the walls for the Mishkan if they are the Mishkan. It should have said, Ve'asita HaKirashim Mishkan. And you should make the walls, the panels, into a Mishkan. Amar Look how beautiful we learned from one letter for the difference between Limishkan or Mishkan? Says the Midrash, Amar Rabbi Hoshea. Rabbi Hoshea teaches, Al Shum, Shehu Omed Limashken. There's a way of reading this word if you add the Lamed, which teaches you something a little bit different. Not Limashkan as a dwelling place for God, but rather Limashkon or Limashken. You should build these walls, Limashkon, as a collateral. When do you have a collateral? You have a collateral in a scenario where you're taking out a loan, you can't pay back. The person takes, instead of the loan, they take the collateral. <clears throat> you know, they tell a joke about a guy who walks into a bank um, 
And he asks if he could speak to a loan manager. He's very well dressed. His, uh, you know, the man is perfectly manicured. You know, his hair is not a hair out of place. You know, the bank manager comes running downstairs. So he says, okay, how can I help you? He says, you see that car outside? He says, yes. He says, uh, do you know what kind of car it is? He says, yeah, it's a, a Phantom Rolls Royce. He goes, that's my car. He says, I'd like to take out a loan, he says, from the bank. The guy says, a loan from the bank? For what do you mean, what kind of loan? What kind of loan does a guy with a, a Phantom Rolls Royce need to take from the, from, the, from the bank? In truth, those are the guys that need the most money. But either way, he says, he goes, I need to borrow from the bank $50. He goes, $50? Your handkerchief is worth more than $50. What kind of, why are you going to give me a, the, the Rolls Royce as a collateral? He says, look, I need the money right now. The only thing I have with me is my Rolls Royce. You, you know, take it or leave it. The guy's like, okay, no problem. This is the easiest collection we're ever going to have is if we need to collect on the money, here's $50. He gives him, he pulls the Rolls Royce into the, the garage of the bank. And he, you know, okay, how long is the term of the loan? 30 days. Comes back 30 days later, he gives the guy $50. Gets his car, takes his keys, drives the car to the bank. He tells him, I don't understand, could you mind explaining to me? You borrowed $50 in 30 days, you gave us a collateral of a car, of a Rolls Royce. What's going on? Why would you do that? Guy looks at the bank manager with a smile. He says, where else can I park a car in Manhattan for 30 days for $50? Right? Collateral is there to be able to be used instead of the loan, instead of the money that you put out. How does thinking of using it? Look at that smile right there. I get to you going like this in your mind. Okay. I'm going to park wherever I want. Okay. Now, what's amazing to me about this is that God says, I'm going to use... I want you to make the walls of the of the of the of the kirashim lemashkon as a collateral, because there will be debts that the Jewish people have to pay. There'll be times when they've done things which are not great, and I have to exact a price, and I don't want to take that price from them. What will I take instead of taking the price? Instead of the Jews paying the pound of flesh, what will I take? I'm going to take the mishkan. I'm going to take the Beit HaMikdash. And indeed, the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed for the sins of the Jews. So the sins of the Jews should have been paid with their own lives. Instead, what happened? What paid the price? What was the collateral? The Beit HaMikdash. Two Batei HaMikdash. One Mishkan, Shiloh. My friends, what we're learning here is something remarkable. <clears throat> because effectively, we have a big question to ask. God is telling them from the beginning, from the inception, when they're building the Mikdash, they're building the Mishkan, God says to them, build me the Mishkan. But He says it in a way which sounds like Mashkon. Build me collateral for the time when I'm going to have to destroy. Who talks like that? It's such a happy time. It's such a beautiful time. Why would you ruin it? There's even a halakha that says, shh. There's even a halakha that says, en ma'arvin, Simcha b'simcha. What does that mean? You don't have, you don't decide to take two parties and make them together. You have a guy he has a wedding. His good friend also has a wedding. He says, "Look, why should we both pay for one? Anyway, I would be at yours and you would be at mine. Anyway, all the people are the same people, right? That, you know, obviously in the example they're not Syrian because anyway, then they would both be the same people. But he says, all of our friends are the same people. I'll go to the same wedding. Let's just, you know, we'll piggyback. Instead of having chupa, we'll have chupot." Right? Chatanim mechupatatatam. Okay? Beautiful. Fantastic. Yeah? 
The halakha is no. En ma'arvin, simcha b'simcha. You don't put two simachot together. Each simcha deserves its own celebration. Because a lot of times people are not aware. They don't realize what's happening at a wedding. The intense simcha, number one, it's for me, for you to enjoy, to dance, to sing, to eat, to celebrate, to have a l'chaim, to celebrate the occasion. And, and we're making the chatan kala, the in-laws that spent all this money, the parents that spent all this money, we're making them feel good that we're all having a good time. But there's really a deeper meaning as well. The joy that a person exhibits at a simcha, the meal that they put out, the spread that you put on at a brit milah, at a bar mitzvah, at a bat mitzvah, whatever you're putting on, it says to God, thank you. We are celebrating the gift that you gave us. People don't think about that when they go to a wedding. But that's actually what's occurring. We're saying to God, look, we're throwing a party because we're so grateful for the fact that you brought this couple together, that you brought love into their lives. So my friends, what we're seeing over here is there's a halakha that says, you don't even mix two simachot. How much more so, you don't bring avelut, you don't bring bad news into the simcha. Build me the mishkan, the mashkon, for the time when I destroy it because you guys mess things up. Why is God telling it to them now? And one of the answers that they give is fascinating. Because when a person is mikadesh, an object, when a person sanctifies an object, so once that object is sanctified, it doesn't lose its sanctity. So in fact, there's a halakha that says that when people are building a bet knesset or bet midrash, they should make a condition. What's the condition they should make when they, before they start the building? They should make a condition that we are allowed to eat and drink in the shul. Why? Because according to some opinions, it's not respectful, it's asur even to eat in the confines of Bet Knesset. Right? So therefore, what did they do? They used to make a tenai, a condition, before they started, that we're sanctifying it, but we're doing it on the condition that we're allowed to eat and we're allowed to drink in here. Because if you did it that way, you already put in the caveat before you put in the Kiddushah. So therefore, it's okay. The Mepharshim explained that what God was doing here was, before the walls even stood up as a mishkan. God said, mashkon, shakan, called it. I want to be able to use this to be able to redeem my children. When they sin, when they need a kapara, that I shouldn't have to punish them. I could, like the Gemara says, shofech chamato, he could pour his anger al etzim v'amarim, on sticks and on stones and not on the Jewish people. My friends, I found in this line, in this idea, something unbelievable. And that's why he, told, he tells them, he calls it mashkon before they start. And that's why he tells it, he has to tell it to them on the day before they even start to build. Listen to this, because this is incredible. You know, God is the only power in the world. There's no power that can fight against God. None. There's only one power in the universe that could defeat God. And that is God Himself. God Himself can, so to speak, defeat Himself. In fact, on a certain level, what's happening on Yom Kippur, when we get Kapara, is that what? God is effectively going to war against Himself. There's a midah, a trait, a path, a way of judgment that God has towards the Jewish people, towards the people on this great day, on the holy day of Kippur. We shouldn't really maybe make it into the next year. But God arouses His midah tarachamim, His attribute, His way of interacting with the world, 
through mercy and he supersedes, he pulls himself, so to speak, off of the throne of judgment and sits himself on the throne al kiseh rahamim. My friends, this is so powerful. Who's God fighting against? Himself. Who's God outsmarting? Himself. Look, quick, say mashkon. Let's say they said mishkan. Let's say they, who's gonna, what's gonna, what, when would they need this collateral? Only if God would want to, pun, to punish them. God is effectively lawyering up the Jewish people. He's giving them language to put in this contract that ultimately will protect whose interests? Not his interests, that his will be done. Whose interests? The will, the safety of the Jewish people. Just to understand that our God is so special, is so loving, that he puts himself last in the equation of God v. Jews, of God versus the Jewish people. <clears throat> he comes up with ways to protect us from whom? From his own judgment. He's making us bulletproof against his bullets. It's crazy to think about how much Hashem loves us. There's a beautiful line that we say every day that if you don't pay attention, it's hard to understand. Blessed is God that He says He's going to do something. And He fulfills His word. He keeps His word. What do you call a guy who doesn't keep His word? Huh? A liar. So could you imagine someone says to you, Oh, well, tell me about your friend. What's he like? And this guy, Matthew Mitlo. That means in Arabic, no one like him. Really? Oh, what? tell me more. The guy is not a liar. That's it. This guy, you know what else I can tell you about him? He's not a crook. If he says he's going to do something, he does it. Okay? Azaku Baruch. That's your description of God. That's a description of an average good person. Gozer, umekayim. You say you're going to do something, and you do it. The Mifashim have many answers to this question as to what the words actually mean. But I'd like to present one angle, one idea on this. Baruch gozer umekayim means that God decrees, He has to make decrees. Things have to, there can't be injustices in the world. There needs to be yin and yang. There needs to be reward for mitzvot. And there needs to be punishment for averot. There needs to be a, uh, uh, an equilibrium that is met. There needs to be law and order. Someone needs to explain this to people in government today. We would like to abolish all prisons. Because prison is cruel. So is murdering people. And raping people. And stealing from people. And if you let people get away with it, what will they do again? They will perpetuate those crimes to greater and greater and greater levels. So unfortunately, yes, prison scenarios are not often as ideal as we would like them to be. But I can tell you one thing. The prisons that we're trying to shut down today are a trillion times kinder than prisons, nicer than prisons have ever been in any place on earth. Go try and be in prison in Mexico. 
in Colombia. Go try and sit in prison in Syria when my dad was growing up. There was no such thing as leaving without, be, without being beaten and tortured and what's it called? And, and suffering mental damage. That's what happened. You went in, you came out, unfortunately, crazy. You know, today, it's considered abuse because they didn't have enough three different kinds of salad dressings. I'll never forget when they made a celebrity chef irresponsible. They put him in charge of making all the meals for the prison service. <laughs> Why? Oh, the prisoner... No. Like Mishnah says, Kol if you have mercy on those that are cruel, in the end, you wind up being cruel to those you should have been kind for. So your decision to pull this guy out to be kind for him and release him immediately for whatever crime he's done, unless, of course, the crime had to do with not wearing a mask, right? You lock the guy up, you let him free, now what happens? The guy goes and he steals again. So your kindness to this person actually is cruelty to the other innocent person that never did any crime. So my friends, this idea is so powerful to me because it's so logical and it's so obvious. And yet, Baruch Gozer, blessed is God that he is Gozer, that he makes decrees to us. But he figures out a way, whenever a decree happens, or something comes your way, umikayim. Mikayim can mean he fulfills uh, his promise. But the word mikayim also means, and he sustains, and he ensures the longevity and the future of an object. When you say, as an example, that a person is mikayim, he, uh, he sustains his family. He's Mekayem, his generations. Baruch Gozer Mekayem, God sometimes makes decrees, but he figures out a way to be able to, at the same time that the decree needs to be done and the punishment needs to be carried out. But how could the person, how could I ensure that the person will survive my punishment? That the person will survive what has to happen to him? So God is ensuring both at the same time. Baruch Gozer Umikayim. We bless God for the punishment that ensures that the world runs in the way that it should, that people are morally accountable and ethically aware, but at the same time, we notice that Akadosh Baruch Hu is in effect fighting his own system on our behalf. Last but not least, I want to share one last piece which I think ties into this. The Pasuk says, Make for me a sanctuary, and I will dwell in it. Says the, the uh, Rashi quotes the Gemara. What does it mean, li, make for me a Mikdash? Li, Rashi says, li lishmi. It should be done for my name. The Beit HaMikdash is built, the Shem Shamayim, it's built for me. It's not built for the aggrandizement of the Jewish people. It's not built as a political move for much of, of human history. Most religions encountered a time or a, a phase where the religion predominantly was not about its religiosity, its theology, or its dogma, but rather about its political power. If you think about today how religion is being used in certain regions in the world, it's being weaponized. That's not only now. 
the Crusades were literally the weaponization of Christianity. You know, terrorist bombers today are employing a weaponization of an extreme version of Islam. That's what's happening, right? We have to be able to call that spade a spade. We have to call it what it is, okay? So many, many religions, they used who, the religion is supposed to be about the God, but who is it actually about? The people. It's about their power and about them having more or spreading out or conquering lands. So God says, listen, can we just make a deal before you build me a house? I have two things to say. Number one, I want it to be used as a collateral in case the time comes. I don't want you to get punished. I want it to come out on this. But the second thing is, I want this house, I want it to be for me, for the sake of my name. So I have a question. Because how could these two statements be simultaneously true? If the purpose of the house is for the sanctification of God's name, then in a scenario where the Jewish people are not behaving properly, right, what should happen? Should the house be destroyed or should the people be destroyed? The people should be destroyed. So which one is it? Is the primary function of the house for God's honor, is the primary function of the house to be able to be used, or at least a, a primary function of the house, to be used to be able to have a collateral so the Jewish people, in case, God forbid, something went wrong, there would be something else to take away other than taking them away. And the answer, I think, is so special. And it goes to the heart of what it is that we do when we are Jews. A lot of um, controversy in the news over the last couple of days over some woman, uh, her name is Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg is not uh, uh, Jewish. Uh, she, for some reason, took the last name, a stage name, Goldberg. And she said on TV live that the Holocaust was not a racial discrimination against Jews. It was a crime against people. Because Jews are not a race because they're white. Fascinating. Now, we could argue about what she said, what she didn't say. But I have one question to ask. Imagine that someone had said that, those same words. Again, whether or not they were intellectually or factually or scientifically accurate. Imagine someone had used it, those words, against not Jews, but made a comment that, anti, that racism against blacks was not a racial issue because it was really just against humans. I mean, think back when it was Black Lives Matter and people dared to say that all lives matter. That made you, if you said all lives matter at the time, that turned you into a right-wing fascist in the news. Fascinating. So again, to turn from race to people is okay when it comes to us, but it's not okay when it comes to anyone else. Again, notwithstanding whether or not it's actually factually correct. It's not really the point here. The point here is those words, those lines, without uh, protecting, they, we know that they fan the flames of anti-Semitism, which is on the rise in every single country that we live in, in many places in double digits. So what is really important to understand, when you walk as a Jew in the streets, whether people see it on you or don't see it on you, whether you practice religion or don't practice religion, one of the things that a Jew needs to always remember, whether they like it or not, is that God says, I place my name upon you. 
Those words are uttered by Yaakov Avinu, but they are also uttered by God Himself. Vira'u and the people of the earth will see Kishem Hashem Nikra Alecha, that the name of God is called on you. We are not Yisra Bump, we are Yisrael. Yisrael has the name of God built into our name. God says, I put my name in your name. Why is that important? Because God says, it is true that the Beit HaMikdash represents me. And it is true that Torah represents me. And it's true that mitzvot represent me. But there's something that represents me more publicly than anything else. And that's you, my children, Jewish people. You're my representation. You're my ambassadors. More than my Beit HaKneset. More than my Beit HaMikdash. More than my own home. You are my people. You are my home. So God says, if this Beta Knesset, if this Beta Midrash, if this Beta Mikdash is about me, it's for my honor, then when it comes the time, I get the choice what to raise to the ground when necessary. And in that time, I choose you, my children. And I pray that at that time, the punishment that will have been carried out and the destruction of Beta Mikdash will have woken you up to recognize that you bear my flag and you carry my name, and it's your job wherever you go to make people speak positively about Jews. And you have so many people who tell me all the time, lost cause. They're gonna hate us anyway. So who cares? Just do what you want, no matter what it's gonna be. Anti-Semitism is here no matter what. I think that that's a cop-out. Because it is true, there are some people that no matter what you do, it will never be enough. But that's not all people. And you know what? It's not your choice to make it's not your choice to make whether or not you go, you throw in the towel. You were born into this, or you converted into this, or you're part of this by choice, or you're part of this by birthright, but whatever the case is, Shem Hashem Nikra Alecha. You're holding open doors, you're tipping, you're returning money, extra money in the grocery store. You do everything that you can to be able to illustrate to people that the Jewish people are, were given a mission and that they live life by a higher standard. That in and of itself creates the most beautiful thing in the world, Kiddush Hashem. So God says, if this building is about Lishmi for my name, then I will be Gozer Umikayem. I will cut and help survive. I will decree and help outlive. And through that, what will happen if the Jews are surviving? and the building is not. Because what would happen if God poured His anger on the Jews and all that was left was a temple? What would happen to God's name then? It would be forgotten from the peoples of the earth. Never forget your holy and sacred mission. Baruch Adonai